0: Welcome to the Nerdist Podcast, number one forty-nine. I've been in London for a couple of days, so I've decided to absorb the accent like so many people do when they come over here, so I can take it home and annoy my friends. <laughs> Hello, then. I'm not really going to do that, but sometimes people do. They do. They get. They go for like a week, and they come back, and they're like, "Well, sorry. Oh, 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 I've been in London." I get it. You want to show me that you travel? You win. I don't know why I chose that particular one, which made me sound like a British morning DJ. Danny Minogue coming up right after the break. Make sure and come out this weekend to see me DJ at the tube station. I'll be opening for the Mamby Pambys. And scene. Anyway, here's some fun stuff. We're about to record our second Nerdist stand-up comedy special, which is going to be at Meltdown Wednesday, the 14th of December, in just a couple days from the time this podcast uh, goes live. And uh, join us. Join us there. We're taking over Kumail and Jonah's regular Wednesday Night Meltdown show to uh, record an an incredible group of stand-up comics uh, who you may or may not have heard of, but uh, hopefully you will know them after the special, because that's how... Events work and the direction of time. Well said. Also, the nerdist Podcast Live is going on the road a lot. We have we have a ton of dates for next year uh, and a bunch more coming in. Uh, notably, January 6th, we're gonna be at the 9:30 club in DC, and then the 28th, as part of SF Sketchfest. Then there's a bunch of other dates coming up in February and March and April, probably May, and then possibly June, and then who knows, July, and then could be August, maybe September, October, I don't know, November, who knows? Go to Nerdist.com slash calendar to get info on that stuff as well. This episode of the Nerdist Podcast is brought to you by Saints Row the Third. I know, awesome sponsor on the Nerdist Podcast. Yeah, let's get some games in here for crap's sake. It's about time. This is an amazing game. It is the biggest I'm going to say most over-the-top guilty pleasure in gaming, available on Xbox 360, PlayStation 3, and PC. You get complete control of the Saints at the height of their power. You live the life to show for it. Steelport is ripe for the taking. It is up to you to make the city your own. Mold the skyline based on your choices. Outfit your crew in classy gangster gear or furry costumes if you want. Make life-or-death decisions that will change Steelport and the Saints. Forever. This is your city, people. By the way, side note, this game is freaking hilarious. So, if you have not played any of the Saints Row's, how many of the Saints Row games should you be playing? All of them! But now you can play Saints Row the Third. So I'd like to thank them for being a sponsor of the Nerdist Podcast, which, this episode... Guys. Guys. Seriously, guys. If I could take an episode on a date and stare into its eyes longingly while I pretend to eat linguine... And covering the boner in my lap with a cloth napkin, the Nerdist Podcast episode number 149 with J.J. Abrams, who, by the way, was so gracious. Uh, We went, Jonah, Ray, and I, Matt had to work, but Jonah and I went over to Bad Robot, um, which is an incredible facility. And uh, he just sat down and talked to us, just like a person. I, I get he's a human being. But, um, I don't know, I'm just a big fan, and I nerd out on people, as, as, as I know that you know, so it was really, it, 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 it's always a wonderful surprise when you get to sit down with, and talk to someone whose work you respect and who you've liked for a long time, and, and you just feel like, holy shit, I could just fucking hang out with this person. Special Abrams side note, Super 8 is now available on DVD, Blu-ray, and for digital download, so pick that up! And now I shall refold myself into the dense London night. And I say to you, good listeners, Pip with an additional and redundant Pip.
2: Now entering Nerdist.com.
1: Talk At a normal level, there, J ray Hey, what do you think about if I uh, got some of that bottle of water and put it into my cup here? Oh, um, nah, is that
0: yeah, gonna, this is the whole kind thing. Of my,
1: yeah, okay, it's just say I didn't get offered. Anyway. Yeah, well, you know, it was there, it was there. You could have you gotten it. Well, I didn't feel like asking if it wasn't offered, it's a rude I of know. me. I gotta be honest, this is the best water I've ever had. I, it looks like oh. it. I mean, the clarity of it is just...
0: It's refreshing,
1: and mm-hmm. uh, it's like it's like drinking diamonds. Mm-hmm. It's really good. You see, now, now it doesn't seem like that sounds good at all.
0: <laughs> <laughs> ah, my
1: throat! <laughs> why? I'll see blood diamond.
0: Um, I just started recording. Now?
1: Yeah, why not? It's true. We're in the theater at Bad Robot. How about the amount of Awesome stuff that was downstairs. There's such crazy memorabilia downstairs. Here's what happened when we were downstairs. He has, there's robots everywhere.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And I saw a robot, a toy robot, that I had as a kid that I had completely forgotten the existence of. And it blew my mind. My mind was blown downstairs because it was just, it opened up. I don't know when I had it. I don't know when it came out. But there was a robot down there that I used to own. And play with all the time.
0: Do you think that was yours? Do you think I, in a weird time loop, JJ went back in time to your childhood, took your robot, placed it right there, so it would have some sort of a larger uh, meaning? Did he take the
1: memory too? Because I'm still having a hard time trying to. <laughs> a little bit, yeah. Know. Well, when he when he ruptured the time vortex, um, it. Fucked with your memory a little bit. My dad ruptured his time vortex once, and it really, really yeah, it, took, it was he was bedridden for weeks. Really, yeah. Did you have to get a transfusion? <laughs> it's a mass confusion. Here's some water. Now shut up. Oh, I should have drank more of the coffee taste out of it. <laughs> but uh, there, was, there was a lot of a lot of Twilight Zone stuff. There was a Twilight Zone or, uh, pinball, which is one of my. Oh favorite yeah, yeah. I'm gonna, we're definitely. I'm going to definitely talk to him about the Twilight Zone. Yeah. And then there's uh what else do we see down there? Oh a, a bust of I guess it's not a bust. Uh Pegg. Peg. that is a bust. That's what a bust is? Yeah. I thought a bust was like the like you know, the one at the Steve Allen Theater, Steve Allen, or it's like a you know, made out of iron or something. <laughs> it's made out of solid iron. Yeah.
0: Wait a minute, Steve Allen is Iron Man. <gasps> He is pretty awesome. Man. Hey, Jarvis, uh, let's go out on the street and interview some. <laughs> <laughs> Little
1: microphone from yeah. the suit pops out. <laughs> you ever see the uh, Steve Allen clip where he has a uh, Frank Zappa on, and Zappa doesn't have a mustache or like long hair; he's just kind of this like clean-cut guy, and he's just showing Steve Allen how to make music out of a bicycle. Uh-uh. It's, uh It's a pretty. You look up Steve Allen, um, Frank Zappa. On what? In an encyclopedia. On... On like it, I should go to the library no, and you look can it go, up? Just go to http colon what? forward slash forward slash www.google.com. Sounds, like,
0: sounds like future
1: talk. Slash search. Slash, <laughs> <laughs> slash search.
0: I'll just put it into Google and then hit, I'm feeling lucky. lucky. I don't think they, they took that button away, I think.
1: Did they? Well, because it just auto—it it auto suggests. Yeah, that's true.
0: So you don't have to feel lucky anymore. Google makes you lucky.
1: Did you see they have the—they uh, have all those Easter eggs now, where it's like you put in barrel roll and it just—it flips the screen. Yeah, 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 yeah. That was good. That's fun stuff. It is. I like a little fun stuff.
0: What do you want to screen in this theater?
1: Um, uh, honestly, I do. I want to screen uh, Creepshow too. I want to get a bunch of people Part together. Part two? Yeah, it's. I think it's better than Creepshow one. What? Yeah, come on. You got the. You got the uh, the wooden Indian.
0: Yeah, but Creepshow one had Leslie Nielsen and Ted Danson and the crazy
1: like yeah, all this. No, it's great, but like as a whole, like I think I like the I like the three stories in Creepshow two better. And E.G. Marshall
0: with the cockroaches. Yeah, but Creepshow two has the uh, the raft. Yeah, but Creepshow one has E.G. Marshall saying. Go out and get fucked, but wear a rubber. There's too much goddamn herpes going around these days.
1: <laughs> yeah, but Creepshow 2 has, uh, has Thanks for the Ride, Lady. Dover or Bus. <laughs> Thanks for the Ride, Lady. Which is something I say to my friends every time I leave a car and Thanks getting a ride. Thanks for the ride, Thanks Lady. Thanks for the ride, Lady. Damn.
0: Yeah, that's true. Te- Creepshow 2 was pretty good. Yeah. Someone needs to make a good, like, anthology movie.
1: You know, they, uh,. They, there's been a lot of direct to video or direct insta watch kind of stuff going on lately, and none of them are good. Fuck. It's uh, that's what's that's what I, disappoints me. Like, and that's why I are really, we gonna have to do this? I think so. Okay. Well, it's just it's because there's no there's no tales from the dark side right now. There's no tales from the crypt. Wouldn't <laughs> it be funny if JJ had been here the whole time, but you were just having this <laughs> conversation. <laughs> oh, JJ, JJ, yeah. No, he's on his way. I'm pretty sure because we didn't bring it up. People would be like, why don't they let him talk? <laughs> He's so clearly he can't right get there. a word in edge wise. You guys
0: interrupt everyone. Yeah,
1: um, but yeah, I I'm, I'm I want there to be new like horror, you know horror shows like that.
0: I'm surprised with our like YouTube culture and short attention spans that there there aren't more there aren't more film collections of anthologies like a, a really good
1: yeah creepy stories well it's you know the weird thing is i think tales from the crypt kind of it made fun of the horror movie host kind of thing yeah uh until but, it sort of became that yeah it it, it but it was if you watch the first season or two like the, even the first season there was rarely as many puns from the crypt keeper
0: fun uh fun fact john Kassir, voice of the crypt keeper yeah married to julie benz for a long time really yeah wow that is a weird
1: fun fact. That's odd.
0: Tonight from the crypt
1: of yeah. Julie Benz. <laughs> um, but yeah, they, there's no Tales from the Crypt anymore. But like, if you watch the first season, it's not Hello. as good as the... Uh... Hello. Hi. Hey, how's it going? Hi, I'm Jonah. JJ,
2: pleasure. Chris, nice to, nice to you. See you. Oh, I play. good to meet you.
1: Thank you for coming in. It we're already recording, so... Dear God.
0: Yes, it's already happened. You don't screw around. No, we don't...
1: It's not... Well, we're out of time, but it's been nice. <laughs> <laughs> i turn my phone off, so so we don't get the...
0: The Morse code? Uh, Joan and I were just nerding out about Creepshow, Creepshow 2, and then Tales from the Crypt, and how no one does a good horror anthology movie anymore.
1: Or show.
2: It's going to happen soon. I think that uh, this discussion is in the air. You think, think so? Yeah, I've been. We there have been a lot of discussions about. Oh, this that's great!
0: Thing. I hope so because, uh, like, the, so many of those movies defined so much of what I loved uh, when I was totally. a kid, and yeah. just and gave us like real. Especially now, when people are used to like bite-sized chunks of stories because of <laughs> short attention spans. Mm-hmm. No, I think it's true.
1: Why we don't have that?
2: Yeah, I, I think that. I mean, it, things are cyclical. I think it's. Uh, I'd i love to see it. Yeah. yeah, yeah.
1: Were you a Tales from the Crypt fan?
2: Sure. Yeah. I, I You know, I was a Twilight Zone fan. So yeah, th- th- Zone, that, yeah. that to me was the anthology, but. You know, I loved Outer Limits when I was a kid,
1: too, and, and Tales from the Crypt, you know, was, was a lot of fun. Um, it was more of a parody. At, like, it became, what we're saying is, like, it kind of be, it was serious the first season, then it became a parody unto itself.
2: It, it did. I mean, the, the Crypt Keeper was definitely, you know, as it went on, it, more and more ridiculous. Like, it <laughs> yeah. sort of like it, what was scary at first suddenly became just Comical. all, you know. I mean, there's always a little bit of uh, that kind of humor in it. But uh, yeah. the idea of doing an anthology
0: uh, is,
2: is something I'd love to see.
0: Because I I I would have assumed that you were a Twilight Zone fan, but I didn't have any idea until I walked in and saw the mold from Eye of the Beholder. Yeah. yeah with the, yeah, yeah. the was yeah. that was that an actual mold from No, no, no
2: from? that that was a mask that was made uh based on the William Tuttle makeup. But it was uh you know, one of my favorite uh you know, episodes uh Obviously, it's one of the classics. Yeah. Yeah, okay.
1: yeah it's great.
0: Did, I, and I almost kind of feel like, are they, do they even still do Twilight on marathons anymore? Like, that was my favorite sure. part of the yeah, year. Yeah, Thanksgiving so. usually,
2: so in a couple weeks. You're, it's a you're, 24 you're hours, the right? They do yeah. do 24 hours. It used to be
0: like Memorial Day and Labor Day on our, you know, our local channels yeah, yeah, that we yeah. do, like the Twilight Where'd you go I grew up in Memphis. Memphis. Yeah.
2: Yeah, no, same thing here. But I think Sci-Fi Channel, I think, does, uh, I believe it's Sci-Fi Channel, but. I they, think so. They do it. Or AMC
1: oh. used to do it, Is I think. AMC? Anyway, they do it,
2: you typically do
0: it on and do you feel like, uh, I mean, how, how much do you ever, when you're working on stuff, do you ever go, ah, I, I, feel, I feel the influence of, you know, Rod Serling, or I feel this teleplay, you know, like, like, sitting on my, sitting on my brain.
2: You know, he wrote, and as did a number of other incredible writers, notably, obviously, Matheson. But, but the the work that that they did on the Twilight Zone, it's unbelievable the the uh, impact those stories continue to have uh on i mean you you can trace so many movies back to ideas and and you know uh themes and relationships and gimmicks and character turns or story reveals that were from from that series so it's not that i consciously think oh i want to try and use this moment or that moment or or you know there are times when i think oh this reminds me of this or that but you know to me that that show was just—it embodied the melding of incredible character and relatable and emotional characters with mind-bending, just fucking crazy good yeah. genre. Uh, you know, typically uh, sci-fi, but it could be horror. It could be, you know, uh, you supernatural. know, it, it, it could be certainly supernatural. But but a lot of times the the you know the uh, the mood of that show was was something that I loved too. The the kind of melodrama of it, that style that really, you know, the fact that they didn't have all the money in the world to make those shows, that how sparse the sets were often. Right. There was a kind of, like, yeah. odd kind of um, impressionistic quality to the show that, that was part of the romance. And for that period of time, very short period of time, uh, gratefully that they they shot the, the show on video. Mm-hmm. I remember which that. Which is really weird, because you watch it, it just it takes away from the i don't know the the somehow the, the 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 truth of it it feels like a soap opera yeah yeah and it, it's it's really uncanny uh but what was what's interesting that there are things that i remember there are episodes that were amazing that i remembered seeing as a kid and realized oh my god that was one of the video episodes and when i would watch it it it, it was amazing how powerful some of the ideas were and when you see the thing on video it just was a very different feeling so there's there's a kind of it was the it was the fact that it was film the fact that it was Filmed in that style, the fact that the, they used those kind of bare minimum sets—there um, was something about the whole thing that just made it the, like the most magic cocktail for me.
0: Was that your biggest influence with sci-fi? Your biggest because I, I mean, if you look back at your earlier work, which was great, but like even your your first stuff—let's Let,
2: be honest. <laughs> <laughs>
0: no. Yeah. Okay. So, taking care of business. Not a sci-fi. I, not you know, a sci-fi. No.
2: I, I, yeah. Not, yeah. And also, maybe, maybe not great.
0: Although, how many puppeteers <laughs> did it take to operate the character of Jim Belushi? Yeah. Oh
2: no, Jim. Uh, he was. Uh, he was a nice guy. <laughs> he,
0: was, he really was. But 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 there's there's definitely you know there's definitely an evolution. It was just sort of looking at like at where your writing is going as like okay, take a break. Okay, regarding Henry. All right, mm-hmm. cool. And then and then it just like starts jumping to these like really intense sort of sci-fi mind bendy right. kinds of things. Yeah,
2: I mean, I, I always loved uh, all sorts of stories. So uh, I you know like everyone, uh, if the story's good, it doesn't matter what the genre is. I just happen to really love. Uh, sci-fi I loved um you know a- as a kid I was obsessed with all sorts of movies that were sort of genre movies whether it was science fiction or horror or or disaster movies I was a big fan of you know the kind of classic Irwin Allen stuff mm-hmm. um I uh what's this oh look a table's coming in
0: another oh, table and some oh, water oh we have stuff Is this... snacks and snacks. snacks oh my god I'm, I'm okay right now people oh, get great. mad at us when we Thank eat you. on the podcast oh then, then, then well, please don't are gonna have to fucking then, deal, with then it. Then <laughs> deal with it <laughs> crunch time enjoy yourself
2: uh, no but I gotta say there's um there's really not a, a kind of movie I didn't love I, I remember being obsessed with the the universal monster movies when I was a kid um I love Frankenstein Hunchback of Notre Dame was mm-hmm. a huge movie for me as a kid um but you know whether it was the 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 TV of the time, Twilight Zone, with the Planet of the Apes films, uh, that whole series. I would buy the novels that you know were based on the movies. That um, for Planet of the Apes, I, I loved. Um, you know, as I got a little bit older, sort of uh, thirteen, fourteen, I would sneak into R-rated movies. You know, the horror films of the time. Uh, as I got older, the the slasher movies were. You know, I was I was obsessed with those. You know, so yeah. there really wasn't. A kind of style or or type of movie that I didn't love.
0: Yeah. Well, I, I but just thinking about Twilight Zone and where you know where a lot of film is at now, no effects <laughs> at all, sure. And just mind bendy stories could turn on a dime, and yes. And then you'd be like, holy shit. Yeah. And I feel like so you know so much of the stuff we see now just relies on the holy shit moments of. Look at that planet in the background, or look at that yeah. look at
1: that laser guy, you know, yeah. or whatever. Well, what's the yeah, uh, What's the right. episode where it's you know they're they're talking about getting out of you know getting out of town, or it's like something's coming, like their planet's going to explode, and then it turns out that they you know go to Earth. At well, and b- um, by the way, you know, I,
2: I didn't realize until years later that Rod Serling was the one who wrote the screenplay for *Planet of the Apes*, and that twist at the end was very much like that. Yeah, where you realize, oh my oh. God, we, we've, we've been here the whole time. Yes. Yeah. Oh, that, oh my gosh! Yeah, I was wrong. Right,
0: <laughs> so, it was Earth. All along. <laughs> so
2: you know the the the, the Rod Sterling influence is uh, epic for me.
0: Yeah. The, when did he die? He must. He died in the seventies. The yeah, yeah. Right. Because like night. Because after he obviously did Night Gallery. He did Night Gallery. In the seventies, yep. which it wasn't quite the same, but something about the cut, co- like color for I don't know, there's something about it just lost. No, it's true.
2: But you know, look, Steven Spielberg did the pilot yeah. uh, with with uh, Joan Crawford, which is... Awesome, one of the stories. And, yeah. uh, you know, the thing about, about Night Gallery, because they tried for a period, uh, as you know, to do The, doing the Twilight Zone as an hour long. Yeah. And it didn't work. With a couple of exceptions, the, the, the hour was too long. And you think, if Rod Serling can't do that for an hour, no one can do that for <laughs> an hour. And, and so there's, I think one of the tough things about anthologies now is that a half hour is pretty much what you want to do. Right. Um, and that's a tough thing, a half hour drama. It doesn't really exist. Um, in terms of TV and programming all that's going to change because the way people are watching TV now when they want to watch it where they want to watch it and how they want to watch it The traditional network decisions that are being made for you are going to become less and less relevant um, but I do think that um, uh, The night gallery model which had a couple of different Anthology stories, you know in an episode. It wasn't always just one thing, you know, that was an interesting way to go Uh my personal preference was *The Twilight Zone*.
1: And do you think the these shows, like *Twilight Zone*, *Alfred Hitch- Hitchcock Presents*, um, *Tales from the Crypt*, like do you think these work better when they have a figurehead, a host, to bring you into the story to set I, up? I the do premise? think
2: people need some kind of, you know, continuity. Something to continuity. go back to. Yeah, yeah. So you think, well, that's the way in, um, and clearly it's been done again and again in that in that way with with Rod Sterling and, and, and Hitchcock or the Crip Keeper. But I think that... that,
0: that you the, know, three <laughs> the three greats. The three greats, yeah. please. The three geniuses. What but is, I, uh, what is uh, C. Crip doing now? Mm-hmm. What is he what's he doing? <laughs> <laughs> but, you
2: know, I, I do feel like that, that, that there are other ways to do it. Um, and, you know, again, there have been a lot of discussions uh, about this, and I, I can't imagine that... A network is not going to try this soon on some level.
1: As, you know, I hear a lot of uh, you know a lot of people like a lot of calls go out for people. It's like we want a comedy version of those shows, but I don't think that you know. It seems like there's like that's always fizzling. Well,
0: and, but as digital culture begins to, mm-hmm. as you as you see the as you see the eclipse begin to happen, where they they kind of merge into one yeah. one thing, digital culture, and um, you know, we're we're doing one of those crazy YouTube channels, mm-hmm. um, and so you know we start to think like, well, you know, when the delivery system becomes easy enough for, the, for most people to get this, this, sure. this stuff on their television set and they're not confused by how to get it, yeah. um, it's going to change the game.
2: I think that that is already happening. And, and uh, I know that when my kid watches South Park, he does it on his laptop. Yeah. You know, when my you know, friend's uh, we were just talking about this, uh, watch the, you know, the uh, Mad Men, they watch it on their iPad, when it, it, it's this weird thing that it's just, it's, it's, it is it's becoming uh, less and less uh, relevant what the networks are wanting to do and how mm-hmm. they want you to watch it, because the options are becoming increasingly, you know, available to yeah. just, just do it when and how you want to.
0: And do you feel like that there's a certain that you have a crusade or a challenge as a filmmaker to try to, like, motivate people. Like, no, 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 you really need to go into the theater to see this. Don't watch it on your iPad later. Like, watch it in the theater now.
2: I I do feel like it is is a a different experience. Um, It is, uh, you know, as bookstores and record stores and fill-in-the-blank stores disappear, there is... Uh, you know, increasingly, um, uh, a kind of. Uh, what's well, interesting? I, I think what's happening is that as as things become more accessible and and more effortless in terms of you know you, you want that album, you click that button that's not even a real button, and you have it even though you can't yeah. see it or feel it. Mm-hmm. We're living in a time of of sort of you know virtual existence you know paying for things with money you don't see to get something that you can't actually hold (laughs) uh and and that feeling of you know having the record that you might not even actually listen to because it was such a it was such a breeze to get a hold of it you know in quotes that you don't actually even take the time to listen to it you just Clicked yeah. it, and you got it. Now you know you have it.
1: Yeah, like a time where you would go to a record store, buy it, bring it home, put it on, read the liner notes, look it was, at the packaging. It was an investment of yeah. time,
2: not just money, but of time and experience. Yes. And when you got home with that album, it, it was evidence of something you'd gone through. There is now, except for maybe on a server somewhere, little evidence of anything that we are doing. <laughs> uh, so as bookstores and, and record stores vanish, you know, the communal experience of browsing with the exception of clothes, I guess, or being in a restaurant and sitting in a place. Movies are a communal experience. It it is obviously uh, wildly different being on the subway, looking at your iPad, watching an episode of, you know, or not an episode, but a a movie that's come out um, than it is being at the theater and seeing it with with people and having an experience. It's one of the reasons why, even though it's certainly not for everyone, movies like Paranormal Activity, while not really... Stories per se they're sort of like a different kind of a story in a way um, they are such experiences that you go and so it's, it's a ride it's a it's yeah. a it's an amusement park ride, and you go and you see this mo- these movies or movies like it because it's a kind of and I think that that will always be on some level part of our you know DNA sitting around the campfire hearing stories there's something about the communal experience it, it, it may be that watching the latest blockbuster at your house with your spouse or family or girlfriend or boyfriend or whatever and and that that may be fine that may be great i would argue that as good as you know tvs get at home and as great as the sound system is as large as, as you know screens as we, as we might have it's it's more about being able to experience something as a human being with other human beings mm-hmm. and i think that there's going to be an increasing need and hunger for places for people to go to experience things in a, an authentic communal way
0: i agree i mean yeah. but but because i also has the
2: longest speech i've ever
0: given no no, no but <laughs> but but it's a great point because because technology essentially you know our our sort of um our sort of addiction to convenience uh is isolating and it forces us to i mean like it's funny it's so it's so dichotomous to me that we have these networks now of like oh, i have uh, you know I have ten thousand friends, I have ten thousand digital friends, but I'm sitting alone at home in my underwear that's right so i'm technically I'm connected, but I'm actually still very much alone yeah it'll be interesting to see what the result
2: is, the net result of increasing isolation and increasing sort of virtual community, and and, and it's funny because the, the very first Twilight Zone, uh, the pilot with Earl Holloman is about...
0: Where is everybody? Yes, yeah. Yeah.
2: being in that isolation tank, and, and that whole experience of running through the city that's empty with evidence of people who are just there but just disconnected, and that notion of not being with anyone, you know, in a weird way, you know, we're all sort of getting, you know, closer to being alone in the booth with a thing, and I can imagine... If you're in the hospital, if you're waiting for, you know, someone or something, if you're on an airplane, there are ways and places where it is a gift from God to have an iPad or iPhone. It's the greatest thing in the world. But any one of us can just stop and look at a sidewalk in in a town or city, and you will see people walking elsewhere. They're just carrying their devices, and they're not present. And it is so crazy i mean i'm as guilty as anyone of you know of this but it is so crazy how often it's almost something out of like brave new world where you see these people who are in this kind of you know soma cloud they're in this other place they're doing something else and they're just not in the moment and you know i get why it's so cool and i enjoy my angry birds and i have a good time Communicating with with people and watching and listening and you know and I, I use my iPhone for all sorts of things. I can play music on it. I can. I mean, GarageBand on the iPhone is remarkable. Actually. Yeah, I love it. It is I unbelievable. It. Yeah. It's unreal. I mean, yeah. it's insane. Having said all that, it is it is a kind of curse that we are are not appreciating the the stuff that used to take some effort. That we are believing, like you say, we are surrounded by these friends that. You know, it's, it's sort of demeaning to the term uh, friends and a weird. I, I just, I, it's a very bizarre time.
0: Well, for me, just to sound like even more of an old person, like these goddamn kids. Um, it's the, the idea of, uh, I think part of it is that um, people are just as a whole, people are freaked out, unhappy, overstimulated by the amount of stuff they have to process. And so they always have their face on their phone or their iPads because they are distracting themselves from their own thoughts. Well, I would argue that that was always what life was.
2: Not necessarily in, in terms of the stimulation that we're dealing with, but in terms of we're all here distracting ourselves until we die. Yeah. Like, there's, yeah. there's a little bit of that anyway. Yeah. But I, the thing that's so crazy is, and, and again, it, 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 it kills me when I do this, and I know I, I, I'm sure I do it as much as anyone, but that idea that you're with someone, talking to someone, and your phone makes a little vibrating sound, and you just look away. It, <laughs> there's so little respect left. Yeah. for being in the moment. And it, it's not to say if someone that you love is, you know, in trouble, if you know that there's so, you know, you're waiting for an important call, of course there are always exceptions. But the rule has become that elsewhere and other is, takes precedent over here and now. Mm-hmm. So yeah. I'm talking to you and I'm like, oh, what's the <laughs> – <It, laughs> yeah. not because I know that my friend is, you know, at the doctor's and might need to get picked up or whatever, but because, oh, well, what else is there? And and that's the scary thing that there's a kind of assumption that there's going to be a more important thing on yeah. the phone
0: than in, in front of you. How do you even have time to be distracted by GarageBand? Uh, you know,
2: when you have three kids, uh, <laughs> and you know, you, you sort of like the. the it's funny. My five year old is obsessed with with music, and so the idea, you know, I take him to school every day, and so you know, we'll, we'll actually have fifteen minutes sometimes after we get to school uh, before we have to go in. Mm-hmm. Uh, because if you must know the first two
1: kids get dropped off earlier anyway so uh, i'll sit there i just figure they didn't go at all <laughs> exactly
2: you know uh nor are they homeschool but but uh no but the 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 youngest you know uh we'll, we'll just play music and we'll it's just it's incredible how good it sounds how effective it is it's i like it more in the iphone than the ipad in a weird way it's very strange how good it is i, I i'm kind of amazed that it exists at all, you know. Yeah, no, it's, an, it's
1: an incredible app.
0: But I want, I, so I want to I want to delve a little bit into into your work and just sort of starting back. Um, the, the the taking care of business movie. You were in college, right? You, you 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 sold that right out of college. I was in my, during
2: my senior year. Uh, Joel Mazursky and I sold the treatment of that movie to Katzenberg, uh,
0: who at the time was head of Disney. So how? <laughs> what are when you look back at your career the, you're there are obviously like key bump points where you go ah, this thing exploded and led me to this. That was certainly a moment.
2: It was insane. I mean, uh, to be in in college, and I, it was Christmas break. I knew I had to figure out what the hell I was going to do. I was at a mall buying Christmas presents, uh, and I was leaving, and Jill, who I knew uh, a little bit, was going up the escalator as I was going down. And I saw her and went back up. We started talking. And she, had, she was, you know, a couple years older than I, uh, I was and had sold a couple things, movies and stuff. And I, I just thought, uh, I am grabbing onto these coattails so hard. Uh, <laughs> and I said, can we please uh, write something together? And she's like, sure. And Jill is the greatest. And she's a person who, no matter what happens, uh, no matter what she's doing, she will always do anything for any... She's the most wonderful person. So Jill and I started writing this treatment together, we just came up with an idea about someone who loses their their planner, their facts. This is, of course, in the age of <laughs> pre self Philo what? That's right. And uh, so we wrote this this treatment, and I thought, you know, whatever, we'll see what happens. Went back to finish my final semester of college. Her father, Paul Mazursky... Mm-hmm. Uh, From Police made, Academy? Uh, Didn't no. Paul Mazursky do Police Academy? No, no. He did uh, An Unmarried Woman. He did Bob Carroll, Ted Alice. He did Down Down Beverly Hills. He did... Moon over Parador, he did. The, those, those Peridore, I know,
0: but I, but I'm almost positive there was a Mazursky name on the Police Academy franchise. I'm 100 sure that
2: that's not true.
1: Although I'm gonna, that, I'm gonna say you know more about this than I do. Let's check right now. And this is another reason why arguments an- don't last as long as they used to. <laughs>
2: if he had anything to do with those movies, I'm gonna be. So oh no, please! Up. I hope I didn't just destroy one of your heroes. No, 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 no! I'm never gonna talk to him again.
1: No, okay, no, hold on. Let's see uh, here. What?
2: He showed the world Hightower. If you're right. I'm going to be so embarrassed. No, 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 no. No, no, no. Let's see.
1: Here we go. Remember when these arguments will go on for weeks? Like, we still have to figure out if he was actually a part well, that's of That's why that they movie. started the Guinness book.
2: Yeah, he has <laughs> yeah, like yeah, yeah. drunken
1: bar arguments. So do you think
2: he was a producer of those movies or what? what was I don't it?
1: know. I just
0: remember, I thought I remember seeing the name Mazursky on those credits somewhere. Hmm. No, mate. I saw a man with 200 bees for a beard. <laughs> no, the saber was 500 uh, beers. Yeah, I don't
2: think... Uh, Is there anyone I, named that?
0: I th- no. I'll
2: just look at Police Academy. Let's do that. Uh, we're almost done with this. Let's see. Police Academy.
0: No, that's all right. Listen, I, I hope I'm a fucking tool with this information and that I'm wrong. <laughs> For some reason, I just, as a kid, I watched... Oh, yeah,
2: it says here, you're a fucking tool.
0: Oh, shit, that's right, right on IMDb. That, yeah, that's right. You'd it was in the You'd think they would take that off. I'm going to the sue the them like that Wait, woman well, who doesn't okay. want everyone to know she's 40.
2: <laughs> uh, okay, here we go. Oh, my God. It's literally, the problem with the, the mobile versions of things, the menus...
0: The menu's yeah. deep diving. Uh, oh my god! Like five, gotta, like you... like five menu navigations deep. Yeah. How do I just?
2: Can I just look at everything at once?
0: Siri, was <laughs> <laughs> was. Paul I can Mazzowski... connect to that network. <laughs> was Paul at the police academy? <laughs> You're you... a tool.
2: <laughs> Are you serious? Oh my god! This is why you thought that. Look at that.
0: Uh oh, Paul Meslansky. Wow, pretty close, my friend. Half kudos. It's a half
1: kudos. <laughs> Rhyming kudos. What, what do you think the last name? Someone Snudos. said the name Paul
0: Meselansky out loud. Um, you must have thought hello. I was a fucking moron. You're like. Um.
1: Police Academy? Uh, no, 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 no. How about Unmarried Woman? And I should have known. Um, he does really good autographs though at uh, Academy Con every year. <laughs> Police Academy. I'm going this year as Mahoney. What about you? Yeah, yeah. always Mahoney. Really? Oh, next year I want to yeah. be Michael. The time, I went, the time I went as High Tower, I got in a lot of trouble. Hey guys, there's a gun. Pew 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 pew. Um, I'm so sorry. I, anyway. I, so you were
0: a phenomenal and sometimes overlooked by the Academy director. Uh, so you were, you were working with Jill Mazursky. I don't even remember what we were talking about. We uh, were talking about
2: how you got involved so in so the So Jill dead. Uh, no, <laughs> So what happened was, uh, Jill Mazursky. So Paul, Paul gave the treatment we wrote to uh, Jeffrey Katzenberg, uh, who, uh, ended up buying it. And, and I, we signed the contract on a Friday, the, uh, the writer's strike of, uh, 1988, Started on uh, that Monday, so and it lasted six months. So I finished college and then moved back to LA and moved in with my best friend, got an apartment, waited around. The Writers Guild strike ended and we started working on the movie. And uh, that was how I, impossibly, luckily transitioned from being a desperate college student to being a desperate screenwriter.
0: It is. It is pretty insane though for your, your kind of first thing. Like, oh, not only are you going to get to write that, it's going to get made. And well, they're going to be. I mean, you know, J- Jim Belushi was a pretty bankable film guy. Charles in, in was the was and, and Charles Grodin, amazing. Charles yeah. Grodin
2: was, I mean, look, it, it was really an amazing thing to do. And, and obviously, uh, while not the greatest film uh, of all time by any stretch, to be able to go to the set of a movie that you wrote uh, was surreal and bizarre. And uh, you know, like this last weekend there was a they gave some honorary Oscars out, and uh, Dick Smith got one uh the makeup artist and uh I was asked to speak for him uh there which is great but I got to see Arthur Hiller who's the director of taking care of business uh you know and he's just this you know he did like the out-of-towners and Uh love stories but he was just such a sweetheart and to just to see him and you know I feel very lucky that I got to you know especially at that at that age to get to work with anyone was kind of a miracle
0: did he also do Police Academy? <laughs> I just think everyone <laughs> yeah. did Police Academy. So so jumping off from that, so now you're in the film business and you, you're working for a little while, and then you then you do, let's jump forward to Felicity, because I'm curious about the gap between Felicity and Alias. Mm-hmm. Like, how do you go from, I mean, you know, Felicity, uh, you know, people love the show, critically acclaimed show, and then how do you pitch a show that has, you know, this insane conspiracy stuff uh, and those, those plots? Well,
2: what happened was, um, as a fan of genre stuff, and I had just worked on uh, Armageddon while we were working on uh, Felicity as well. So I sort of had just gotten a a fix of doing sci-fi stuff, which was a blast, and uh, went to do Felicity, which Matt Reeves and I uh, created, and it was based on this idea that I had, and he and I developed it, and I wrote the script, and he directed the pilot, and and, uh, it was a very sweet story that had literally no stakes whatsoever it was so hard because when you got to episode three you're like um
1: <laughs> <laughs>
2: <shit>. <laughs> there were no bad guys there were no monsters there were no you know uh, it was lo- the monsters
0: inside us
2: exactly but literally like grades was, <laughs> was, was like the most but there, there there was you know there was no way to do a show that that you know there were no crimes there there were no you know legal cases or medical cases a TV show typically needs a door that every week bursts open with burden that Mm -hmm. the main characters have to hold carry and deal with and help people in a selfless way I mean it's sort of the the model of a TV show is a condition in which characters can actually Deal with stuff that 's not just their own issues. Mm-hmm. College is only about your own issues. There was very little i'm not saying we didn't do shootings at parties and <laughs> and you know dramatic breakups and and horrible you know stories of you know there were things that were substantial in it, you know whether it was like you know everything from you know date rape to drug use so there are all those kind of things that that were uh, where you need to go to find stories and of course there are things that in many cases sadly are relevant to that that age, but typically it was a very difficult thing to sort of come up with what's the thing every week to, to do. While we were working on that show, I remember I pitched what if Felicity Were a Spy.
0: Oh, that's and awesome. And I
2: said it simply because I thought it would answer every problem I have. Because she could go out on crazy missions, she could be in insane chases and fight scenes and, and be sneaking around. The stakes would be literally life and death for the, the world. And she'd come back, and no one could know what she was really doing, and she'd still have the issues of Ben or Noel or whatever the things we were doing. And everyone looked at me like I was insane. I wasn't really serious, but I was, I was looking for something to make that show easy in terms of finding ways to tell stories easier. Anyway, uh, around that time, uh, ABC, uh, Touchstone at the time, came to me and said, you know, we're looking to do a show uh, that's a young, a female, you know, uh, young female-driven show, would you have something? And I was at lunch with, with Boyd Braun, uh, who's the head of the, the studio. Anyway, I, I, pit, I said, look, I have this idea about a young woman who's a spy who's in grad school. You know, and I kind of, like, proposed what a Felicity... Because I know you can't, in episode 16, say, and Felicity's a spy. You can't... You know, right. <laughs> um, and they said, that sounds great. Why don't you write it? And so I just put the Run, Lola, Run soundtrack on and <laughs> listen, listen to it nonstop. And no! wrote, <laughs> <laughs>
0: it's the greatest. And
2: I wrote the alias pilot uh, to that score and I turned it in and they said, who do you want to direct it? And I heard myself say me and they said, okay. And I thought they're crazy. And we, you know, we cast the show with Jen Garner who had been on Felicity and among others. So yeah. it was fun.
0: Wow. Now, so the Run, Lola, Run thing r- makes a lot of sense now because I, for some reason, every once in a while, when I'm driving down the street, the fucking theme to Alias hits me in the head, <laughs> and I just like
2: what's happening. I'm sorry, I apologize. I'm sorry. Yeah. Which, by the way, it's funny because that theme and the Lost theme, I I wrote both of those in the mixed sound mixes because we needed a theme. Yeah. And I had my laptop, so I just did whatever I you know I had to do, uh thinking they'd be temporary stuff. Yeah. And then getting to play, I thought, yeah, screw it. Let's just leave it. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, I, I, uh, it was a fun thing to do. The, the lost theme, by the way, is one note. Right. Uh, which, for which I won uh, like an ASCAP award. <laughs> <you know? laughs> so whenever I've done more than one note, I've won nothing.
0: See, in your acceptance speech, you could have just done that note.
2: <laughs> oh, <she's> like, thanks. <laughs> just
0: like, give one, one word. What can be said? No, nah, I, I, I was a huge losty. Oh, right. Went way down yeah. the rabbit hole. Like yeah, I would too. follow all the Easter eggs. Like, oh, there was a reference to the Hanzo Corporation in a commercial. I'm going to go online <laughs> and deep dive and see all this crazy, yeah. all,
1: you know, uh, alternate reality stuff. Thank you. Thank stuff. you, thank you. The season four, there was the whole guy looking for his wife that was lost on another plane. There was all the whole web series. I, yes, I went yeah. down that. Spent so much, so much time. I mean,
0: that was one of the. I think what was so exciting about that show is that so few shows. Kind of put you in an emotional place where you immediately call your friends afterward and go, "What the fuck just happened? What yeah. did they do? Yeah. What yeah. is it?" I
2: gotta say, I mean, that that was really all Damon. Uh, you know, he and, and Carlton Cuse both ran the show uh, for the six years, and yeah. so, like, frankly, when I went to go do Mission Impossible and and then Star Trek and uh, being able to watch the show and have that same exact reaction you just had, and to know, like, wow, I got to be. Part of that at the beginning, create, but literally, they should and must and do take full responsibility for all that stuff. And I, I'm, I'm so happy that, you know, I got. To, it's almost like having a kid, where it's like you, you know, you were involved in a fairly critical part of the experience. But at a certain point, what they do, who they are, is sort of their choice. And I got to say that, for those moments in seasons four and five and six, you know, that stuff that they did, that I thought, whether it was all on the show or online, sometimes too was so brilliant, even the comic con appearances they did and the way they would sort of perform there and I, I, the, I, all they, the pulse stuff. They did amazing. Work. Yeah. Yeah. Damon's been amazing on the
0: podcast work. before. What an aggressive guy! Oh, Damon? Like, he hit, Can I... Damon hit punch Jonah in the throat. Yeah. Well, you know, yeah. some not people true. some people deserve that. <laughs> I did. Like, I'm not saying I didn't, but Damon, it was Damon's just like, a little too hard. Damon's like one of the sweetest yeah. guys in the world. And He's so, awesome. Yeah. And then so we did a we did a comedy show at the UCB that was all Lost based for the last episode <laughs> of the show. <laughs> yeah, that's and, fun. and we all did these we did these sketches and uh, and um, I did a uh, I did a sketch as uh, Are you a member of UCB? Yeah, well, not we perform, no, not officially, right? but we but we do a lot of we did a lot of shows there before we opened our own little. You friends with Ben theater. Schwartz? Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, ben. yeah, yeah. Um, Love that guy. Uh, yeah I know those guys. So we did a fun Lost themed comedy show at the end, oh, and Damon awesome. and Carlton came out and sat in the front row, that's and they were. Great. It was really it was really fantastic. That's awesome! That was um,
1: oh, remember when a uh, uh, Gaston at uh, Meltdown put together the the Dharma bunker? Yes. Did you ever go swing yeah, by? Yeah, there? that was awesome.
0: Meltdown's. Where our spaces? That's where we do all our live comedy shows. Yeah, so we have a Dharma desk there.
1: So then, so from all that,
0: even at this point, your things are pretty cooking for you, and then someone says, uh, hey, do you want, do you want to do Star Trek? I mean, that's, how do you fucking wrap your mind around that?
2: Uh, well, you know, it's, uh, I, I was, frankly, uh, and I know that this may not be your, uh, what you want to hear, but I was never really a fan. I never really got it. Yeah. I never really here. cared much about it. I, m- most of my friends who loved it were, without question, uh, Smarter than I was, and I always thought, "Well, I, I want." I kept trying because I wanted to sort of figure out what, and I couldn't get it. I didn't care about it. I, the it, it felt stilted, and it's it's ironic because a lot of the 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 kind of tone and techniques and some of the writers as well were from the Twilight Zone. When you watch it, you go, "God, there's that same kind of melodra- melodramatic vibe." A lot of the writers were were, were same the same you know writers and. You'd think someone who loved The Twilight Zone as much as I did would kind of find a kinship to that show and get on board. I couldn't do it. And so I enjoyed, you know, the movies that I saw, the early films, um, but I never looked forward to them. So when I was mixing Mission Impossible 3, which uh, was the real uh, shock for me that, that someone, namely Tom Cruise, would give me an opportunity to, <laughs> to make a, direct a movie, um, when I was asked if, if I was interested in, in producing a Star Trek movie, when I said yes, it was because I had never thought of it, ever. But what occurred to me as I was being asked was there is a version of it that I could see getting interested in. And it was weird because I couldn't tell you what that was. I just knew that if Star Trek were done in a certain way with a kind of, you know, an approach that, that somehow let me in more... Mm-hmm. And it was almost like I, I I was actually being given the opportunity to at least attempt to do something that I wished had existed for me as a kid trying to get into it, which is a way in, which is an emotional way in that was, that was not about the Enterprise or Starfleet or the Prime Director or any of that stuff. That was completely emotional. I thought if, if that existed, I probably would have found a way in. Now, maybe I saw the wrong episodes. Maybe I wasn't in the right frame of mind as a kid. I don't know what it was. I've since... Watched a number of them and actually have come to really appreciate the show. Um, I still know, tried it.
0: I can't. It's yeah, funny because uh, I would imagine a lot of Star Trek fans would be like, "What the fuck? How can you?" But but I do appreciate that your sincerity. I'm like, no, I really did try, yeah. and for whatever reason, I just couldn't connect with it. So here's what I. But that's why I like lo- I love the movie. I thought
1: it was oh, great, and you. like you know, I was you know it was, it was a big event movie, and a lot of my friends were going. So I was like, I was like, you know, I don't, I don't know the show, but you know, it, but you know it because it's just so much a part of the culture at yes. this point, you know, yeah. and then I saw it and I just, uh, I was worried about not being in on stuff right. or, you know, but there, there, and there was a couple of those where someone would show up and people go, ah! but, but, there, but it still was like, well, you know, clearly I know that's the guy, that arc, you know, that character archetype. And, well, right. cause I right.
0: I saw the movie with um, a guy named Will Wheaton who was on Star Trek The Next Generation and Will is, yeah, a... Will did a couple of voices in the, in the movie. Oh, he did, yeah, so Will, Will, you know, we went and, I I think he was kind of prepared to be like, all right, let's see what you got. And uh, we walked out of it, and he was like, holy fuck. Like, (laughs) he fucking...
2: No, he was very sweet. I I gotta say, the, um, you know, doing that movie, the reason I wanted to direct it is because I thought, when in the world ever am I gonna get a chance to do a space movie? Like, that's kind of, that's cool. And I really loved the script that Alex and Bob wrote, and I thought, there's a version of this movie that is sort of surprisingly intimate and emotional and about these two men who were kind of displaced, kind of both orphans in a weird way, and they find a family. And I thought, that's kind of a cool story. It happens to be called Star Trek. Mm -hmm. That happens to be Kirk and Spock, but cool. And casting that movie was, you know, tough, but a crazy joy to find that amazing cast. And, And so the whole experience was sort of bizarre in working on something that I never in a million years thought I'd be associated with, doing it with people that... I would have loved to work with in any capacity uh, getting to do things that feel like in the kind of cliche things as a kid filmmaker, you want to do, you know, spaceships flying through, you know, huge things crashing in planets exploding. I mean, stuff that you could only dream of, of yeah. doing. So it ended up being oddly of all things, kind of a, uh, this, this sort of dream project. And the weirdest thing was as a kid, my parents knew Nick Meyer who directed the two of the movies and, um, and the sort of, Famously, the best one, which is uh, Wrath of Khan*, mm-hmm. and uh, and when I was bar mitzvah, uh, Nick Meyer came to my bar mitzvah, and I remember he was there. He'd come over for dinner, and he and I actually, I used to make like like tapes all the time, like sort of like radio shows, you know, mm-hmm. as a little kid. I did the and, same uh, thing. And and, <laughs> and Nick Meyer and I did a show together. Like he, he came into my room and we like did. It. And he was like the sweetest guy, and I still have the the you know annotated Sherlock Holmes book he gave me for my bar mitzvah. Holy shit! You know. And uh, so. Years later, he he actually you know directed a Star Trek movie, and then years and years later, uh, so did I. So it's it's strange to you know have kind of had this sense of you know seeing that movie he did and realizing oh my god I hadn't I hadn't seen him in years at the time, but oh my god that was that guy I, my parents used to know, and so I I always sort of felt this weird I don't know that I, I the connection to Star Trek to me was always through. Like appreciating that my friends loved it, uh, knowing someone who had been involved in it, never, ever, ever thinking I would be involved. You know?
0: I think it's a real feat because you run a serious risk with hardcore Star Trek fans by basically just redefining the timeline of of the series, and you know, like, and blowing up Vulcan, you know, like all these things. And but, and I, and I feel like I. I, I didn't really talk to that many people who were like, what the fuck? You know, Everyone was like, well, was oh thinking, shit, it be, was be, pretty
2: I, I think the key to that was, first of all, it was one of those things that not everyone even cares about or understands the, the timeline of it all, but the notion that when this one character, N- Nero, arrives in his ship, that basically the timeline is altered at that moment. Mm-hmm. So everything forward is essentially an alternate timeline. Yeah. That's not to say that everything that happened in the, the original series doesn't exist. And I think as a fan of, you know movies and shows if someone told me the beloved thing for me was gone I would be upset but we didn't do that we're, we're not saying that what happened in that original series wasn't good true valid righteous and real like let people embrace that we're not rejecting that that to me would have been the big mistake we're simply saying that at this moment the very first scene in the first movie everything that people knew of Star Trek splits off into now another timeline.
0: Doc Brown does a very perfect explanation of that in Back the to the Future Two. With the yeah, and this line here, yeah, and then it go. splits off. So Is the Biff, exactly you thinking. know. Yeah. There you go. Um,
1: so so in that other place, there's still uh, Tannen Estates and everything. Right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. There so, there. So, the, so I wanna,
0: I wanna glide in. Uh, I wanna glide it to, into the end of the into the chat. Uh, talk about Super Eight. Yeah. Which, uh, which I loved, and it, like. The monster part of it was was really cool, but I was so also into the the sort of Stand By Me esque mm. element of it. The sort of like it really it felt like, and I mean this in the best comp- way uh, possible. It felt like amazing, like an amazing stories, like the amazing stories I watched mm. when I was a kid. Like, oh my god, there's so much heart to it. Yeah. But then there's also a crazy sci fi element too. Right, that's nice. Well, thank you. I, you know the the thing about
2: Super Eight was it, it began as a Stand By Me type movie, and and I think you know maybe was never. Uh, completely uh, figured out even in the script uh, the 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 balance of those two things. It's somehow the the idea of a movie that was just about a community, about kids, about their relationships, about first love, about being you know a parent, all that stuff. That that was in a weird way one story, and then there was a kind of another thing that that I don't know if it was ever fully integrated those two notions. And and yet for me the monster. Uh, it a gave me the kind of a little bit of a sort of raison d'etre for the movie, for to kind of call people to the theater mm-hmm. and say, here's some spectacle. I'm all for the spectacle being in the eyes of an actor and a performance and speeches and conflict and character, but there was something about that where I I just lit up inside. Thought that's a movie I want to make. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, I had a separate idea of of uh, the nailing that escapes from a train car being transported from Area 51. And the idea of I had no characters to speak of, and I simultaneously had this sort of cast of characters uh, making movies and kids and issues and loss and all that stuff. But I didn't have a story. It, it sort of answered both questions for me, and I combined them. But you know, I spent many hours in this room. There, are whiteboards all around the room, uh, and all the you know trying to break the story and figure out like you know how to make it work uh, before shooting, after shooting, during editorial. And I I do hear you that there are kind of two ideas that coexist. My wife would say, you know, can you just make it about the monster? I'd be like, oh, don't say that. You know, I, <laughs> I love the monster. Um, but I do believe that there, there probably was a version that was just about these characters that might have been more true to that world, and, and yet... The monster I, stuff was cool. Well, yeah, I, I love yeah. the idea of saying, here are kids essentially making a monster movie yeah. that basically find themselves in a monster movie.
0: Right. And not only that, but there's this weird meta thing that's going on in the movie, where it was take place in 79? Yep. So it takes place in 79. Before Alien. But, uh, but... <laughs> <laughs> but <laughs> I have a Nostromo patch. I have a patch from the actual Nostromo suit. That's awesome. <laughs> um, I'm sorry, there was unnecessary information. But, um, but anyway... Uh, the meta thing. The meta thing is that... Um, that the those kids were a movie that would have been made in like 79 like back when they would cast these really great characters like any like the bad news bears type sure. movies where you would just see, all of a sudden yeah. see yeah. these really great kid characters mm. which felt real. totally real yeah. and not like those are kids acting like these char- these kids yeah. were fucking great
2: oh that's great yeah no they they were amazing to work with uh the whole group was fantastic and funny and real um It was amazing how many kids we saw, and when you see those kids, you know, a lot of those kids were these professional kids, and they'd come in with this bizarre cocksure attitude, like, you know, okay, so how do you want it? (laughs)
0: <laughs> you're like you're not allowed to talk I, like that I don't know maybe was, like maybe when like, I was studying abroad what? You know, <laughs> it,
2: it, it really was was wild and it was like you know uh, maybe like someone your age I don't know like try it as a human being but, but <laughs> it, 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 it's uh, a, I don't uh, I don't understand don't, don't what, like what, you what, can what, order what your parents you around no but it really was amazing how do you have, do you have a smoke? <laughs> <laughs> it was hard to find kids that that just felt like oh those are actually authentic children yep. and, yeah. and that was the key and I really wanted kids that were just at the precipice of everything changing where you know pre-voice changing and puberty hitting hard and get really serious boy girl issues where it was really in that kind of in inno- last moments of innocence in fact uh three weeks maybe after we stopped shooting i wanted to reshoot a couple little things and i called the kid who plays the director riley uh and his voice had dropped you know an octave and i thought this is a disaster you know (laughs) and in fact some of the stuff that we ended up reshooting which we shot a lot of it uh in this building tons of it in this room oh sweet we, we uh one of the scenes that we shot in this room and there are many uh was the scene where they're watching tv uh you know the next morning after the crash and uh charles you know realizes they can use the train crash in his movie
0: production elements uh, yes. production value, production production value, value. Yeah. Yeah. and
2: uh but and the reason uh, in the scene he at one point he, he he whispers you know oh my god joe we can use it and he's whispering because his voice was about two away. <laughs> oh shit <Yeah. laughs> that's right. Yeah. i had to have him whisper it. i was like you can't
0: talk so when you're when you're when you're building this story like when you're writing what's do you do outline first, or do you do story ideas? Do you try to pull everything together? Do you do you ha- what? What's just really quickly like? What's your what's process? You problem? know,
2: so, uh, what I usually do is just start writing ideas for scenes and moments and things that I know, uh, character relationships, just the stuff that I feel is you know the broad strokes of what I know want to be there, kind of the gross motor function stuff. Um, <laughs> and then uh, <laughs> and Jonah just had a moment. <laughs> <laughs> and, and then you know, it's about things like. Well, how do you structure that? Like what where what are we building to? Where would these these particular moments want to happen? And then as it goes, it really is a question of of just sort of talking it through whether it's to myself or to Steven who is amazing uh, to work with during the the process of development, structuring the script.
0: Did you um, find yourself in a
1: Holter guy situation ever? Uh in which way?
0: Where they move the house, but not the heads. They just exactly. move the heads. No, no not just the just where grace. it's, uh,
2: you swimming know... swimming with a bunch
1: of... Uh, <laughs> yeah, when a tree... Did a tree <laughs> attack you at any time? Peeling your when, face off when in a When the ghost is in the bed? When the be Rubinstein comes over? Yeah. yeah. Uh, no, just like I heard uh, when, uh, you know, the, the, the whole story of, um, you know, when you, during Poltergeist, he was kind of, like, very involved in... Oh, like, oh you
2: mean I see what you're saying.
1: Yeah. Uh, no, I it's mean... It's more I, of a passing joke, I
2: No, no, I didn't know what you meant, because I thought you were talking about how... Quickly, Stephen wrote the script because he oh, when right. he wrote Poltergeist, he wrote it in five days. The thing about um, working with Stephen that was you know amazing. Uh, first of all, uh, you know it's it's very surreal to work with a person who was sort of your idol all through your childhood, uh, and I don't care how old you are. I think you always sort of feel like you're twelve or mm-hmm. thirteen, yeah. forty. So to work with Stephen was unbelievable uh, on every level. I, I would have loved for him to have been more involved in the actual production of the movie. Unfortunately he was shooting War Horse, so we were both on our sets and we would talk every day and email all the time and uh but, you know, he he came to the set I think three times and every single time it was I had the insane impossible uh luxury of looking at Steven Spielberg in the eyes and saying what would you do with this? And, oh, wow. and, and have him say, you know, well, you know, it'd be cool to do a shot over there, like, you know, and, and you'd just be like, that's cool. Like,
0: I WWSSD. I <laughs> yes, it is cool. Cr- that's cr- right. Those moments where you're talking to him yeah. and he's yeah. like, well, uh, JJ, I really think you should do this, or this, and you, then you go, okay, okay. Um, also, you're fucking Steven Spielberg. Yeah. yeah, there was a little bit of that. Uh, but the
2: truth is, you know, when you work with someone even like Steven, you know, uh, who is so kind and so giving, enough it becomes simply a collaboration, but then you cannot help but have these moments where you're just slapping yourself and, you know, in your head, you, you're you're in shock that you're actually getting to uh, work with him at all. Yeah. And so he he was just the greatest. I and mean, including, by the way, when I had a, a a cut of the movie after having worked on it for a while and knowing we had two weeks left to turn over the final cut and knowing it was nowhere near what it needed to be and you know freaking out and all that stuff that goes with post-production and i was in this room with him and it was you know on a saturday and i never because of the kids you know never work on weekends and it was like an exception because we had no time and stephen came over and we just sat here for hours talking we watched a big chunk of the movie that we knew was problematic uh and we on the whiteboards here just listed all the scenes and we worked on reordering a bunch of things and changing things and we can control the avid from in here and we recut it and then washed it again and it was the most amazing thing to be with him because to hear him say you know what I would do you're like what, Steven Spielberg? You know, <laughs> it, it was really an, uh, an awesome. Thing. No, I don't yes, know what you would do. Yes, please, me too. Yeah, yeah. the same thing. Okay, how did you know that was exactly what I was thinking?
0: <laughs> well, I know. Okay. I know you gotta go, but thank you so much for spending time with us. And I do want to oh, say please. that uh, the, the Super 8 DVD—it's DVD, Blu-ray, and digital download now, which I, I, I fucking, I totally dig that. Like, yeah. The, the 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 three the three punch. Yeah, it is yeah. good. Um, I agree. Uh, that's coming out uh, Tuesday, November 22nd. Um, Indeed. So that'll be available. Pick that up for the holidays. Give it to your. It's a fun. It's a fun movie. I, I love, oh, I love Super you. 8. So thank Get you right so right much, on. and, and thank really you, thank it. you for letting us come here. And we're probably going to nerd out on stuff that you have here on the way out. Yeah. Yeah. Just all of your I saw props. The, uh, the, the
1: credit plate thing from the Twilight Zone. Near the, that was that? insane. That's insane. Oh my god! I, yeah, saw, exactly. I saw
0: your bust of Simon Pegg, and I emailed him before I came here, and I was like, I'm, I'm interviewing. You know, I'm doing it with the podcast <laughs> with JJ. And I go, is, is he is he nice? Is he going to punch me in the face? And he and he just said, don't look him in the eye.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I love that guy. I, I, I gotta tell you, he's uh, he's amazing in in Mission the the one that Brad, Brad directed, but uh, I will say that uh, looking forward to Star Trek, working with Simon is one of the things I'm most looking forward to. I could not have more fun. Yeah, he's, uh, a, he's a nice guy. Oh, my yeah, God.
0: Yeah, he's cool. Certainly doesn't come off as, like, one of the biggest comedy stars in the world. He's yeah. just the greatest. I yeah. love him. So. Well, thanks, man. It was, really, it was a yeah. pleasure to meet you. Oh, my
2: pleasure, man. Thank you very Take care. much. Thanks for hanging out. so, so much. Yeah. everyone. Now leaving Nerdist.com.
0: Enjoy your burrito. This episode of the Nerdist Podcast was brought to you by Saints Row the Third. Steelport is yours now on Xbox 360, PlayStation 3, and PC.
1: One, two, three, four. Those are numbers, but you already knew that. If you want to know what number you're going to pay each month for your car, use Kelly Blue Book My Wallet on AutoTrader. They're really good at numbers. <laughs> Auto-trader.